the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey, with me, as always, my lovely co-host, Nani Oxford. Hello, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, I think so. I, it's Monster Hunter Week! Monster oh Hunter my Day. god! Woo-hoo. I downloaded the game, but it took me, like, most of the night, because I, uh, I started at 12 a.m.-ish. And it's a, it's a big download, like 24 gigs, something like that. I'm waiting for the collector's edition to show up in the mail so i can stick a disc in and it can download some more stuff to <laughs> let me play it <laughs> wow remember the days when sometimes when i go back and play terra enigma i just just plug in a cartridge it goes ka-chunk and i turn it on it's like wow mm, that's satisfying click my favorite thing was always opening the box and it was yeah. a cardboard box it wasn't a disc case yeah. And finding the, the instruction manual in there. Yeah. And also the little uh, poster thing that would show upcoming games mm-hmm. and all that good stuff. Especially yeah. the instruction manual. I love the manual. But yeah, Square Enix used to put in posters with their stuff. I still I used to have the one for Final Fantasy III and Chrono Trigger, but my dad accidentally threw it out. What? Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. I'm very sad. I know about that there was a big kerfuffle about the Seiken Densetsu 3 collection because they didn't include a manual inside it, and the fans were dr- going like crazy about that. Well, that's sad. Yeah. Uh, in Japan, that is. And speaking of Seiken Densetsu, um, I checked out Secret of Mana Remake. We'll be talking a little bit about that, and also we'll be talking about the news that broke about the Dragon Age and Anthem and all that good stuff. And uh, we will, and Bob is coming on to talk about Monster Hunter World, and we're talking about Cosmic Star Heroine. So this episode's a pretty packed episode, so we should probably get started. <laughs> I guess so. No more talking about the weather and stuff. All right. You guys already talked about this on the flagship podcast, which, by the way, you should go and totally download and listen to. It's the US Gamer Podcast. Uh, subscribe to that. But basically, uh, Kotaku dropped a report earlier this week about anthem anthem is going to be coming out in 2019 Mm -hmm. there's no way it's coming out in the fall which is kind of a loss unfortunately for this fall season um who even knows what's coming out uh, this year it sure's like sure seems like everybody uh kind of spent all of their ammo last year yeah this year's still early who knows we might get some surprises yeah no absolutely uh i'm sure we'll be finding out more pretty soon but uh, i think the things that were that really jumped out at me bioware is all in on anthem and this like they see it as kind of an existential thing that they are able to uh make it a success which is kind of sad and depressing in its own way uh star wars the old republic might uh be ending a lot of the support which i think okay star wars the old republic is not a bad game by any stretch of the imagination. It has a lot of great single-player content and all that. But, I mean, as a game that was ostensibly meant to overtake World of Warcraft, that is like the final failure there. Yeah. <laughs> that did not happen. No, absolutely not. World of Warcraft still going strong. Somehow, millions upon millions of users, 14 years later, and Star Wars The Old Republic might just be ending support soon. Wow, which that is, is sad. That is very sad, especially considering the strength of the Star Wars uh, property now. And they also confirmed Dragon Age 4, and people were freaking out because it has some live elements. Um, I would not freak out 
all that much. Uh, I don't think they're turning into an MMORPG. Uh, what I think they're actually doing is you will be connected to the internet and there will be some kind of cloud-based quests or something that will be coming in and just giving you extra things to do at all at like all times, basically. But uh, yeah, basically, uh, there is some worry about that. I think, uh, didn't someone involved with the game speak up and say uh, on Twitter, no, don't freak out, it'll be okay? Um, yeah, I think it was Casey Hudson, yeah. who was previously involved in the Mass Effect games. And he was like, don't worry, it's still story focused. Oh my God, stop freaking out. And <laughs> Don't panic again. <laughs> I compared it to Middle Earth, Middle Age, sorry, Middle Earth Shadow of War, which I immediately, I imagine I will make a lot of people immediately cringe, but one of the cooler <laughs> things that could happen was, um, my recollection was that there were like live nemesis quests, um, that I think that if a captain or an orc or somebody killed somebody in another game, you could try and ha- hunt them down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was kind of cool, I guess. I, I yeah, could see so something like... <laughs> stuff, stuff like that, I suppose. But if uh, if you want like that traditional RPG experience that Dragon Age kind of offers, then uh, I can see why you might freak out a bit. I So I'm going to come out and say that I like Dragon Age. Mm-hmm. I have always kind of liked Dragon Age. I think that it is a flawed series and has struggled to establish its own identity, mostly because it leans so heavily on what's come before. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the thing. Like, I I have to admit, I was, I, I played the first Dragon Age and I just was not engaged. So I just fell off and never bothered to try, try to get back up. Dragon Age Origins was a very good isometric RPG. I think that the party size was, was too small and it put way too much emphasis on mages. Mm-hmm. But... By and large, I thought the story was pretty good, even if it basically stole, stole pretty heavily. <laughs> it stole really heavily from, uh, what game was that? Oh, Song of Ice and Fire, uh, yeah. Game of Thrones. Which, yeah, it was basically Game of Thrones in video game form. Well, wasn't that Skyrim as well? <laughs> no, not really, no, because uh, Elder Scrolls has been around for a long time. Uh, like Elder Scrolls predates Game yeah, of Thrones. Which is kind of incredible to think about. And it, I mean, it takes elements from like history, right? I mean, you have the Roman Empire, essentially, and various other things where uh, Game of Thrones, or sorry, Dragon Age Origins from the start establishes itself like you have the Grey Wardens who are basically the Night's Watch. Yeah. And you have the Darkspawn who are basically the, the undead walkers. And you have all of the political intrigue ignoring the fact that the dark spawn are on the way and like a king being assassinated and blah 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 right <laughs> that's how you sum up history blah 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 a king was killed exactly and, and it was a good story no i i enjoyed it um it and then dragon age 2 came around and it went from a kind of cool isometric rpg to uh, and the the combat isn't as bad as everybody said it was, but it was a little shallow, and it was ost- and it was very much in an attempt to be a action game. Right? Is that the one where you could ride a moose? No, that's Dragon Age Inquisition. Okay, which funny. scaled back that el- element a little bit, but was still kind of criticized for being a little too shallow. Mm-hmm. And and then a few months later, Witcher Three came out. Oh, well, let's end to that. Yeah, pretty much. And then people went like compared and contrasted Dragon Age Inquisition and Witcher 3 and went, oh, oh no. <laughs> I'm going over here. I'm 
To be honest, I'm doing that right now. <laughs> like Dragon Age Inquisition cannot escape Witcher 3's, uh, cannot escape the Witcher's long shadow. Yeah. And Dragon Age Inquisition nakedly stole from Skyrim with its whole, uh, uh, when you put down a flag, it would do the freaking Skyrim horn call. Oh, like, yeah, that, that, I think you mentioned like the leveling up sound was exactly the same in both games. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think that's almost exactly the case. Yeah, so I, I think the thing that was most interesting about Dragon Age was the the mages and the whole idea behind the mages was that they could go crazy and become an abomination at any time, mm-hmm. essentially. So they were walking nuclear bombs, but at the same time, they were people. Yeah. And you wanted them to be happy. And, and it kind of sucked that they were stuck in mage towers and you sympathized with the fact that some of them would go rogue. And and it actually reminded me of a storyline. This is the second week in a row that I'm referencing Babylon 5, a sci-fi show from the 1990s. But they did a similar thing uh, with Telepass, mm-hmm. which I believe was borrowed from the sci-fi works of Alfred Bester. And they even freaking named a character in that game, Alfred <laughs> Bester. <laughs> Beautiful. The whole idea being that there would be humans who would be telepathic and they would instant, they would become such a threat that they would be put into their own organization and strictly controlled and there would be very strict laws and that eventually the telepaths would rebel and you would have a war. And that is basically where Dragon Age Inquisition left off. That the mages and the humans, like, uh, mages were going to go to war with the regular people. And so uh, I, I expected that Dragon Age 4 would pick up that uh kind of thing and then you had a character uh morgan who is sometimes good sometimes bad she's an interesting element to that game her mom who is kind of crazy and is played by cable Grew, played captain janeway so lots of interesting threads to pick up but it's not like mass effect where you have a persistent character each game yeah yeah so i i think that turned some people off of the series but the thing that I find most interesting, Nadia, is that they said that they rebooted it somehow. Like, what What was the reboot? I want to know what they meant by rebooting Dragon Age 4. Like, they were going in one direction yeah, and completely what, changed it? I was about to ask, like, what do they mean by that? Do they mean, like, they were, they were partway through and they said, you know what, we're going this way, or else our publisher told us to go this way? Hmm. They, uh... They were playing, they were making, an, they were making, they were building on what they did with Dragon Age Inquisition, and they all played Witcher 3 and went, oh, <laughs> oh no. Oopsie, oopsie. <laughs> Pretty that, much. That happens in, in, uh, in games, and sometimes it's kind of fatal. I mean, look at Duke Nukem Forever, which took forever. Uh, but it, it does happen. Yeah. But in any case, I uh, it really sucks that Bioware is having like going through some troubles right now because yeah I mean Mass Effect Andromeda was a huge blow to them huge blow yeah that was a, a real that was a real downer in every case, in every sense of the word really and Bioware is such a historical yeah. uh, RPG studio it's one of the most important studios and to see it uh, wasting away under EA's watch. Yeah, we and were talking about that on the, the uh, flagship podcast about how just how influential Knights of the Old Republic was. And just to see them, f- first of all, they're making not an RPG right now. Anthem is what it is. A shoot, uh, how would you describe it? Like a loot shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're ha- uh, reportedly having trouble with the, the Frostbite engine and just kind of out of their, a little bit out of their element. And not to say they can't do it, but this everything seems to rely on this game, and I think a lot of people are really sad about that. 
I feel like EA should face the music and realize that there's a reason everybody uses Unreal and <laughs> and Unity. <laughs> They're going to send someone to your house for saying that, Kat. I know that they want to have their own proprietary engine, mm-hmm. but it's not 2004 anymore. Yeah, yeah. And the tools that they have are clearly not flexible enough for the array of genres that they want to hit. Yeah. So they either better really dramatically improve their tool set or they need to like cry uncle essentially. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Yeah. I, right. I I don't know. Um Frostbite just seems to hang over that entire studio. It really does, doesn't it? I keep hearing about how one studio or another just can't get used to to Frostbite because it's meant specifically for is it first person or third person? It, it's meant for a very specific task. It's it's for Battlefield. Yeah, yeah. It's a first person shooter. Yeah, and it's admittedly gorgeous. Like the games that come out of that engine are gorgeous. But I, I don't know, like trying to adapt it to so many different things, sports games. Their sports games have had problems because of Frostbite. Uh, Mass Effect Andromeda had problems because of Frostbite. Right. The, this is the whole nine yards. I, I don't know. But <laughs> I, I, the, I was going to like, I had, so I've been playing UFC 3 mm-hmm. because I don't know why, because I got a review code for it. And I, I just want to say, would it kill EA to stop being so beige? Like, I play, like, every one of their games, and every one of their games just so bland. Yeah. Uh, from a presentational standpoint, whatever, there's no sense of style whatsoever to them, and it really bugs me. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like, the, the models kind of, they look good, but mm. in this day and age, I think, as we talked about in the past, we're, we're kind of noticing there's a real importance of style over, you know, eye-popping, oh, wow, you can see the pores in this person's cheek sort of graphics. Like, I think both are important, but if you can have a real sense of style, it can make up for uh, how good the graphics are. Battlefield 1 was a gorgeous game, but a lot of uh, EA's games aren't, you know, the top tier of uh, graphics. Like, Witcher 3 blows Dragon Age Inquisition out of the freaking water. <laughs> Dragon Age Inquisition is not an ugly game. No. Uh, but Witcher 3 just looks better. <laughs> Which is funny because Witcher Dragon Age Inquisition is kind of a kind of a stylized game, and Witcher Three is less stylized. But Witcher Three has its has its very much its own aesthetic, mm-hmm, exactly. I think, and just everything like with the music and the the musical stings when you complete a quest, right? And all of that stuff just really contributes to a strong sense of identity that I don't get out of EA games. You're right. Like, just those those certain cues that all work together. Um, I guess the, I haven't played too many of EA's games recently, but I guess it sounds mm. like they're missing that. You're right, that kind of blend of, of different styles that really gives a game its own identity. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things was... Um, like, So I play a lot of sports games, as some people might know. And the difference between... Like NBA 2K, which is just like one of the most stylish games you ever see. The way that they integrate mm-hmm. the the way that they integrate the cutscenes and the live footage and uh, the variety of openers, like that game just really stands out to you. Even if you're not a basketball fan, you can't help but marvel at it. Yeah. It feels like basketball. And with respect to the other sports games, it doesn't. EA's sports games don't do that. Right. They feel 
well, frankly, uh, they're trying to get better, but they always feel a little stayed. And uh, I don't know what's wrong with that. Pol- yeah, well, <laughs> we could have a whole podcast about what's wrong with EA, but what's wrong with Bioware EA turns around. 20 episodes. Yeah. Don't miss it. I don't know what's wrong with that publisher, but I think that they need to uh, get it together because, man, they're, they've not had a good time of it. But, all right, let's talk a little bit about the Secret of Mana remake, uh, Nadia. Yes, let's. Okay, so I, I got to see it in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've already seen it. I've already seen it. I actually played a substantial chunk of it. Uh, I think I played more than I was supposed to because I was just sitting there and going and going. I'm like, should this <laughs> demo stop at some point? You started, you started at the beginning, right? I started at the beginning, yeah. Okay, it's not as ugly as I. Uh, it's not as ugly in person as it looks in the screenshots. No. Um, first of all, when I previewed the game, it was already looking better than it did, like when they introduced the hmm. the trailer. And uh, I uh, apparently I had been told that uh, apparently they still had a lot of polish and stuff to add at that point. So maybe they went ahead and did that because I did notice how even when the game looked bland at times, I, they did a fantastic job on the boss models. So I was hoping that maybe. Since it's a be- it was a beta I was playing, maybe they're just kind of upping everything to to like uh, that standard just on their own time. Yeah, um, uh, they seem to be trying to incorporate some of the the stylistic elements of the previous game. For example, the, you can have the original soundtrack. Oh, so you can listen to the Dwarf Village for twenty hours, cat. Yeah, pretty much. I got. It was you who put that dang music back in my head after you when I was talking to you about the BGM. <laughs> yeah, Kat asked me like, "Hey, do you uh, do you have any questions you think I should ask?" And I said, "Yeah, why don't you ask what the hell's wrong with the Dwarf Town music? Like, what happened there? Do you ever ask something to that effect?" <laughs> yes. <laughs> what they did said, they say? We were drunk. The composer. He said, "Well, obviously, I'm not the composer, so I can't necessarily speak on beha- their behalf. But my understanding is that the composer was going for something upbeat and energetic." It's that, all right, but um... <laughs> it's <was> very energetic. <laughs> um, I, I asked about <laughs> I, I asked about the the moon at on the final screen that the with the the phases of the moon that changed, and they said. The designers finished a lot of the components of the game relatively early, mm-hmm. um, but while the programmers were kind of struggling with it, probably because they were taking a game that was supposed to be on CD and cramming it into a cartridge. Yeah. Uh, so the designers, the game, the designers had a little bit of extra time in their hands, so they decided to have a little bit of fun. Wow, really? Yeah, and mess around with the phases of the moon. Um, I. Unfortunately, I was not able to get the details of what exactly you need to do to change the phase of the moon, but designers were messing around. <laughs> I didn't even know like you could change the phases of the moon. Um, yes, you could. Uh, and you don't know. It's hard to say what the what exactly you do to change the phases of the moon. Mm-hmm. Like People haven't really been able to figure that out, but there is something. Oh, that's funny. So it's a little Easter egg that no one's really quite figured out yet. It might be, it might be totally random. Could be. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. back in the day, they liked to screw around with, with their moons. Like, do you remember uh, mm. Final Fantasy IV had the face on the moon? Yeah, maybe? No. Oh, right. You never you never really finished a uh, 4. Yeah, I did. You did? Okay, well, four. maybe you forget, but if you fly Don't over... Don't slander me like that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. I finished the GBA version. <laughs> but, um, yeah, if you fly over uh, the moon, you, you can see, like, the famous face, like, that they took a picture of on Mars... Uh, oh right okay before yeah high definition ruined that uh that myth and we found <sighs> out it was just a bunch of rocks it wasn't a shrine damn, to I, aliens damn you high definition cameras <laughs> uh, i wanted to believe 
But uh, there was there was another thing that I asked about. Oh, yes. Uh, so supposedly the idea that Secret of Mana has multiple endings is a myth. Mm-hmm. I never heard uh, they, anything of that sort. Well, there were people suggesting that originally it was meant to have multiple endings. Right. On the SNES CD. Okay. But like multiple paths, uh, multiple endings. Yeah. And they said that... Uh, the main the creator of Secret of Mana, uh, the main creator of Secret of Mana had a, a potential alternate ending in mind, mm-hmm. but otherwise, no, it was always meant to be kind of a linear game. Yeah, and that's funny because uh, we've talked about how uh, Chrono Trigger kind of sprung out of some of Secret of Mana's unused ideas, and of course, Secret mm-hmm. of, uh, Chrono Trigger does have different pathways, it does have different endings, so could have carried over from that. Yeah. I didn't get to see any interludes, uh, but there are going to be like story interludes, mm-hmm. as they've already mentioned. And they, these story interludes are meant to kind of sketch out the characters a little more fully. Yeah. Um, for example, there's going to be a story interlude with um, where you learn more about uh, Prim's relationship with Dialuk oh, and good. why exactly they're chasing. She's chasing him, for example. <laughs> well, I I kind of got the impression that. Uh, He's like a commoner, and her father wants her to marry nobility. In fact, he arranges a marriage, and if you break the game, you can see that that cutscene, the original game, I mean. Uh, So, because uh, the king and her father, who's a nobleman, doesn't want this to happen, so they send Dialok off to kill the witch, uh, because they know that he'll die. And uh, so she's basically, the whole game's her chasing after him, and he's always like one step ahead, because Thanatos keeps screwing with him, I don't know, sending him away here and there and everywhere. So they didn't actually show that much of the game to me. So they showed me one of the later dungeons where you're getting the mana crystals mm-hmm. or the mana seeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, very, very simple um, bit of content. And I was like, okay, like I didn't even get to fight a boss or anything. Oh, wow. Uh, it was mostly just an opportunity to mess around with the combat, mess around with the UI, uh, put the magic in items on shoulder buttons, see the BGM. Mm-hmm. see the uh the voice acting and everything i got a chance to ask about uh secret of mana remake on the nintendo switch yes and they said that they've heard people's requests for it yes. on the switch loud and clear but of course they've been developing it for like two years so uh it was being developed long before the nintendo switch became a thing so um oh um one thing one problem i had that i mentioned in my preview it's on the site if you want to read it and this was back in august um are they are the mouths moving in the cutscenes now? Because not really even the cutscenes, but just like the the character portraits kind of stand there as they talk to one another, and their faces were totally blank and stiff. And I'm just wondering if they ever fixed that. They said they were going to. So it looked pretty much the same to me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Solved. So I I mean like the characters in the menus are, are like smiling and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was um. Standard. Was it Popoy? Popoy. It's that's the name of the sprite, right? Yeah. Uh, poor boy is all like uh, doing this giant grin, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. So, but they didn't show any cutscenes, so right. I can't really. So you can't really say. Uh, at this point. I can't really say at this point. Um, uh, I also asked them about the Second Densetsu uh, collection, <laughs> and one of the questions they had were like, "Would Americans know that it that Second Densetsu is related to Secret of Mana?" I was like, "Well, change it to the Secret of Mana collection." Yeah. I mean, it's- it's not that hard, but uh, I feel a little insulted about that. Um, there are well, I mean, uh, people who are in a publisher always want to cover the bases, right? That's true. That's true. 
But uh, yes, call it the Secret of Mana collection. Everyone knows what Secret of Mana is. Uh, if you want to even put like the alternate names, like Final Fantasy Adventure and and you know whatever on there, sure, go ahead. But just put it all under the umbrella of Mana. I think you'd be fine. Yeah, they seemed a little surprised that they were like, so why, basically they were like, why would you want Seiken Densetsu 3? And I was like, it's because I've never played it before. <laughs> it's a good game. And it's kind of a holy grail over here because obviously it, it's regarded as one of the best Super Nintendo RPGs, but it never got a full release over here. Mm-hmm. And we were talking a little bit about the the localization and how it famously didn't fit on the cartridge and everything. And they're like, oh yeah, that, that was even a problem with the Japanese version because we had a problem, a bug with like disappearing, uh, disappearing <laughs> items. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so that just goes to show how much the SNES was pushed towards the end of its life because that is, that is just a glorious looking game. So I'm glad that Secret of Mana is being remade because obviously the original had a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that it's a little bit of a missed opportunity mm-hmm. uh, because while they are putting in the interludes and they're expanding it, uh, supposedly 40% of the content was cut from the original Super Nintendo CD version. So I would have really loved for them to... Uh, I know that the original content was probably just planned Mm-hmm. and not even fully like fleshed out or realized, but it would have been nice for them to go back into their archives and find a way to get that into the game. And maybe that's what the interludes are. Yeah, but... uh, to be honest, uh, I wrote about this a little while ago when I when they first heard about the Nintendo PlayStation being functional again. I said, wow, how much I would love to play like the original quote-unquote Secret of Mana. Uh, but then I found out uh, just so much of the original game, the original Secret of Mana, part of it, Part of it stemmed out of their first ideas for Final Fantasy IV, and like we just said, a lot of uh, what they had to cut became Chrono Trigger. But there are still things, you're right, that they can restore. Like, for example, you haven't reached the Moon Palace yet, but it's literally just a dark room where you run towards the crystal and light it up, and that's your whole palace. And there are even stuff... Oh yeah, that's what I did with the Moon Palace and Secret of Mana Remake. That was exactly what I played. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they put you in that. It's damn the same palace, thing. Is what you're saying? They put you in the. Yeah, palace. you run into a dark room and light up the uh, the crystal, and that's you get the mana seed done. Yeah. Okay. See, that really, <laughs> there was an opportunity to do something a little different, guys, because the latter half of the game really does feel like, okay, let's finish this while we still can, while we still have our 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 souls attached to our bodies. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, too bad, but. On the flip side, the original had the Super Nintendo version had a lot of technical problems. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, hopefully so, those are fixed. So those might be fixed. Uh, personally, I have a Super Nintendo. Uh, I have an SNES Classic Mini under my TV, and I've got a copy of Secret Mana that I still need to get through. Yes. Um, so I I'm kind of inclined to play that one because I like the 16 bit graphics. Yeah, um, I would agree, but of course I've been through Mana like 60 billion times. And uh, I am interested how this one plays a little differently in certain respects. Like, the boss fights are a lot more... Like, from what I played, I only played one or two bosses, but they seem a lot more uh, attuned for your sword. Like, you know how the the, mount, uh, the Mantis Ant, the first boss, can kind of stunlock you? They can't do that in the, the remake that I played. So it's a, it's a little more tactical, I guess. We are going to move on now to our conversation about Monster Hunter World with Bob Mackey, uh, so don't go away. 
All right, with me now is our old friend Bob Mackey, who is here to be talking about Monster Hunter World. He just did his review uh, a couple days ago, and Bob, you gave it a perfect score, and you seem extremely high on it. I did, and I want to tell everyone out there, a 5 out of a 5 is a perfect score. It means there's <laughs> nothing wrong with the game. Uh, it's it's a it's an airtight, watertight score. It's pristine yes. and flawless, like Jesus Christ himself. Yes, it is the Jesus Christ of games. That is the new overused term. It's no longer the Dark Souls of games. It's now the Jesus <laughs> Christ of games. I, I did review it for you guys, and because I'm doing this podcast, I'm not playing it right now. <gasps> We're sorry. Which is a real problem for me. <laughs> you need your fix? It's a re- Oh, I'm so addicted to it. But yeah, I um, back when I worked full-time for US Gamer, I was sort of the Monster Hunter correspondent. And I reviewed, um, so far for the site, I reviewed 4 Ultimate, uh, Generations, and now Monster Hunter World. And I looked back at my old reviews, and they both got 4.5s out of 5. But all of the changes uh, to Monster Hunter World, frankly, if I could give it a 6 out of a 5, I would. But I didn't try to push my luck. Your co- your review reminds me of my Pokemon reviews, where you get you become so inured to certain things and su- certain problems that when they finally fix those problems, they just kind of explode like it's a supernova in your face, and it's amazing. I encourage everyone to read my review and not just look at the score, even though I'm just beaming and glowing about this game and I want everyone to buy it. But yeah, it's um, what I talk about in my review is just how much is changed in the game and how many of these legacy, uh, I call legacy bullshit, they've removed <laughs> completely. And I, I think in terms of, uh, I don't want to make any broad stereotypes, but I really feel like Japanese creators are the most afraid to change even bad ideas because the audiences are so used to them. But mm-hmm. in this, I have to give credit to the director and the entire team. Um, I feel like they have the same mindset as players. All of the problems I had with the past games that in my head I would be like, why don't they do it this way? Why don't they change it to be like this? They did all of those things. It's like they read my mind. They read my secret wish list for Monster Hunter. And they, they did everything I wanted them to do. They probed your mind while you were asleep. They did it, Mackie. <laughs> it was uh, for the best. I, I will say that one thing that has me very interested in World over, say, Try, which is the you know, the, the last Monster Hunter I really seriously got tried to get into. I like the concept that this is an open world. I really kind of hated the way the old Monster Hunters are segmented off into into chambers almost. Like, that just really bothered me, cause, especially since I played Try coming off of, like, Zelda and other open worlds. I think probably even Xenoblade as well, which, of course, are both open world games. Right, yeah. The, the past games were basically rooted in 2004-era PS2 uh, yeah. limitations. So... Uh, and that made it very easy to turn into a PSP game and very easy to turn into a 3DS game. But now, uh, frankly, this game feels designed for PS4 Pro more than anything, mm. or Xbox One X, just because of how gorgeous it is, how how huge everything is, and just how much is going on under the surface. And I'm not even sure, do I really need to explain to people um, what Monster Hunter is and why it's appealing? <laughs> I mean, it might it might be a good start. Okay, well, this is the thing that I have to do every time I review Monster Hunter, and, it, and <laughs> I, I have it memorized by now because I think I've written it like eight times. But basically, Monster Hunter is a very basic and simple concept that is extremely, you know, it's very, very dense once you get past the surface. So the entire game revolves around, much like your destinies and things like that, it is a very loot-focused RPG in which you do the same things over and over again to make to make prettier things to get nicer weapons basically it is a fun rpg dress-up game um where you fight monsters over and over and over again and 
but the amount of thing the, the amount of ways that branches out and the amount of ways that is um, executed in the game can frankly i my review is 2300 words i think and i to to accurately describe monster hunter i might need like 10,000 words just to say like here are all the surrounding systems yeah. everything you do feeds into and here here is how all the different variables that can occur when you're hunting and here's how all the weapons interact with monsters in different ways they're just so much because they just keep building off of this foundation that's now almost 15 years old yeah mike was actually the one who's edited your review and i think we were finishing up our podcast as uh, for the us gamer podcast just as he opened up your doc file and he was like oh my god <laughs> 2300 words <laughs> yeah i it took me quite a bit and every time i thought i was done i was like oh i didn't talk about this and i really need to and then mm. in, on twitter after i posted the review people are like you didn't mention this and i was of like I, a review has to end at some point it really does have to end at some <laughs> yeah. point guys like I, I understand but you you have to i, I try to keep it really like compact <laughs> but then people say well what about this what about this and i understand where you're coming from but this has to stop somewhere now you know how i feel when i'm reviewing a sports game <laughs> <laughs> I rep- I prefer those replies to people uh, replying to the review and asking should I buy it and it's just like well read the review, read the review. <laughs> read at review, least man. at least read the score like do me that dignity yeah especially since uh, I will say uh, Bob's review plus a lot of other reviews about the game do address the the age old question is this a Monster Hunter game for newcomers you will find that answer in in Bob's review and most many reviews as well i don't know if i should be surprised but i was kind of surprised as you know having been a fan of this all uh for about five years now i fully expected this game to push away a lot of uh, mainstream reviewers on bigger websites but i i was really surprised to see like a lot of players playing it for the first time and reviewing it are giving it like 9.5s out of 10s and 10s yeah, out of 10s doing um, really well I have no way of knowing what this game is like approaching it as a newcomer, but I guess it all paid off for a Capcom because this game, despite how um, obtuse it can be at times, it does a great job of really working you into the mechanics step-by-step without it making you seem like it's keeping things away from you. I don't know if this is just my own perspective, but uh, speaking on the mainstream sites covering it and enjoying it, it strikes me that compared to when we broke into the industry like 10 years ago or whatever, um, there's more of a place for the kind of the niche Japanese stuff um, and people are more willing to embrace it uh, than they were in the past and that might be due to traffic. <laughs> I don't know, but... I think so, and I also think that we are now uh, out of the narrative where, oh, Japan screwed up and it's all over for them and yeah. they'll never make big console games again. I feel like the last couple of years have really been... Um, uh, an answer to that to that uh, old problem uh, it's kind of overriding that old narrative rather which is really kind of a relief i think kat and i have talked about this on past uh, uh, episodes of the podcast as well so aside from a lot of the the open world thing that nadia was addressing like what are some of the the big ones that have just been gnawing away at your soul that monster hunter world finally addresses well, there's like in order to get into this, I need to explain a lot in terms of what was in the old games. Uh, and I feel like the biggest thing in terms of just overarching changes were so number one, the the fact that your arenas you fight in are no longer a series of rooms. That is awesome. That is yeah. something that everyone has been saying, you know, you need to change this. And it was inevitable and they did a great job with it. But I think overall the the way they spread around functionality where it's not limited to certain areas of the game um, i point out in my review that um previously if you forgot to do something before going out on a quest you know you you go to the hub you choose a quest and then, then it throws you into the quest area and then you go do the quest in previous games if you forgot to do something if you forgot to bring something if you forgot to eat 
well, tough luck, buddy. You quit the quest. You go back to the hub. Often, often inconveniencing three other people you're playing with. Ouch. In this game, the functionality is spread around to the point where if you're in the quest area, you can basically do everything except for crafting weapons and armor. Like they, they really understand. Like we don't want to waste your time. Mm-hmm. We don't want you to be punished for forgetting something. And why? Why should we punish you? People forget things. So, just being that helpful and making you making it so you don't have to wait or don't have to go back is a, is a huge, huge change that frankly has been a long time coming for the series. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how are the weapons? The weapons are actually, they've all been tweaked, and I don't believe there are any new weapon types, but they are all carried over from the past entry generations, including the, I believe the Insect Glaive is the newest weapon, but the fact that, um, I mean, I love the 3DS, but the fact that you can control the weapons now with a an actual controller, an actual, <laughs> I'm using a PS4 controller, my, my hands don't ache anymore after I'm done playing the game, which is amazing, mm-hmm. because the weapons are all... All the weapon types control completely differently, and they're all based around these very specific combos and specific button inputs and some uh, fairly complex mechanics if you dig deep enough. And they, it's just they tweak them and they execute so perfectly. And the great thing about this game now is there's a training area that sort of walks you through all the different weapons. Um, mm-hmm. And also, in the top corner of the screen, it tells you what every, every important button does given your current context. And despite yeah. how that might sound like it might clutter up your screen, it really doesn't. And it's actually very, very helpful for teaching you how to use weapons without you necessarily having to go to a separate area. It's, it's super helpful. They give you all the information you could possibly need without it being overbearing. Yeah, I actually heard, uh, I was reading uh, another review that was saying that one thing they added that's really, really helpful for newcomers and even old people, uh, sorry for the term, uh, is <laughs> basically now when you hit a monster, you can see... The, the amount of damage you're doing according to uh, the number of colors, like I think red is you're doing a lot of damage to that one specific area of the body. Uh, gray is you're kind of doing less damage. Uh, and you can actually turn it off, I hear, if you're a veteran. You don't want that, that spoiling information. Yeah, I mean, as someone who is a veteran, I'm fine with that because it gives me the feedback I need. If you want to be hardcore, you can turn it off. And one thing I didn't mention in this conversation is that a monster fight can take upwards of, you know, 30 minutes if it's a newer monster you're figuring out. So that information is very, very helpful to you. And Mm -hmm. one thing I should point out, there's just so much to talk about, I don't know where to start, but one of the greatest features of this game is that they don't want you to be doing work outside of the game itself. They don't want you to have to go to a wiki to do something or uh, or go to a piece of paper to write something down. Mm -hmm. They give you a lot of tools in the game in order to help you. And one of the greatest tools is basically an in-game wiki where as you fight monsters over and over again, it gradually unlocks more information including like uh, weaknesses the 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 parts you can get uh, off of them if you hit certain areas uh, which areas are di- are different hitboxes on the monster things like that so they're very devoted to keeping you in the game itself right yeah that's that's really handy actually that's actually really interesting it's a good motivator to keep on going after those enemies over and over other than just getting their parts yeah, I really find myself consulting that instead of going to uh, Wikia or whatever, like I usually do to look up strengths and weaknesses. No, it just, it's right there. Our precious in the game. guides. Cast <laughs> <laughs> withering away. Yes. Uh, uh, I will say, uh, I have a brief question for you. As a newcomer, I'm kind of interested in the bow gun. Is that a good weapon for a newcomer, or should I forget that? No. 
I'm going to say no. <laughs> they've actually done a lot of work to make uh, projectile weapons uh, more approachable. I wouldn't start with one, but I would definitely move to a projectile weapon if you're interested once you fight a few monsters and get the feel for how the loop works and how gotcha. the encounters work. Um, I, I feel like the bow guns are fairly basic. The The bow itself is, a, is an actual pretty complex weapon because it is also a melee weapon. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, a lot of the weapons transform in interesting ways. But yeah, I actually haven't tried the projectile weapons because in past games, you would need different armor to equip them. Oh. And they were very complicated. But I mean, they're still complicated. But this game, again, as with everything it's doing, it's trying to make it as approachable as possible while still keeping uh, it actually very complex. Mm -hmm. Good to know. In the past, I've always tried to pick a projectile weapon and I've always immediately regretted it. (laughs) (laughs) Just because I love bows and stuff like that i thought i'd ask yeah yeah i mean if anyone's listening out there and you want to know which uh, which weapon to start with i feel like the hammer is good or the long sword they have pretty basic combos and there are systems within those weapons you can explore if you want to but if you just want to hit monsters a bunch and see how the game feels those are good weapons to start with Mm -hmm. in terms of melee um some people like the twin blades as well although those will those make you get very very close to the monster and that might not be a great idea if you're just starting so were you playing on the PS4 or the PS4 Pro? And if you were playing on the PS4, were you experiencing frame rate problems? I wish I could tell you because I bought a, <laughs> I bought a PS4 Pro uh, basically for Monster Hunter World. Uh, and <laughs> from what people are saying, and I, just, I was actually just listening to a podcast this morning about Monster Hunter World. Um, people with PS, regular PS4s are, um, it's sort of the not ideal experience. It's still a very pretty... Uh-oh. A uh, very good game, but I I can credit Capcom for actually being one of the few developers to take advantage of the PS4 Pro. After after I got my PS4 Pro before Monster Hunter, I'm like, okay, what can I do with this thing? And it's surprisingly, there are very few games that actually take full advantage of it. But I feel like this this game um, is might be the prettiest game I've ever played, and that's that that sounds hyperbolic, but it is like the newest game in hmm. history right now. So I feel like it's safe <laughs> to say that. That's a good way of putting it. It is literally the newest game. There yeah. is no good game newer than this one. As of as of this recording. But yeah, it is a gorgeous, gorgeous game. And I think part of that is because previously I'm used to staring at a small window that is basically a 240p in my hand. And going from that to 4K uh, upwards of 60 frames per second it's just like uh it's 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 like life-changing for me yeah it would be yeah no comparison there i'm glad you compared it to destiny earlier because uh it really kind of locks in the elemental appeal of monster hunter i think for a lot of people because i mean you look at destiny and the fun of that game i think um even though i'm not a huge destiny fan of myself is to hang out with your friends and tackle environmental puzzles, essentially. Um, in the case of Destiny, shooting a lot of things in Monster Hunter, taking on these, finding out the different strategies to take on these different monsters and everything. And your reward for all of this time that you put into it is lots of loot. Let's just hope that Capcom doesn't screw it up in the same way that the Destiny people have seemingly yeah. screwed up Destiny too. One of the things I've, I've loved about the game and... Um, People have offered contrary evidence, but I don't believe there are any microtransactions within Monster Hunter. Mm. Uh, there might be things you can buy in the like PSN store, or the Microsoft store, that apply themselves to the game. But I, I have not. I've been playing the game for now seventy hours, and I feel like if they wanted to, for me to buy something with actual money, they would have given me that chance by now. Mm-hmm. And that, that is pitch. not. 
yeah, the, <laughs> they're going to patch in a new uh, a new store probably at some point. But <laughs> oh, the fact it doesn't that, have loot boxes. What's that? It doesn't have loot boxes. There are no loot boxes. Yes. Are, like surprising and gratifying. Yeah, I mean there there are daily login bonuses and things like that, but no loot boxes. And um, I don't want to bag on Destiny 2 too much. I know that's very popular these days, but I never played Destiny 1. And I played through Destiny 2 uh, just to see what the fuss was about. And I was like, this is kind of the inferior Monster Hunter experience. The, <laughs> the gameplay is just spraying bullets out of a, out of a gun like a fire hose. Um, the loot is not very interesting. I mean, th- they have a certain aesthetic they stick with, which is fine, but it's just like, oh, now I have a brown robe instead of a green robe. And, and in Monster Hunter <laughs> World, it's like, oh, look, I, uh, this enemy dropped this thing. Now I can dress up my cat like a ladybug. Like, <laughs> the, the weapons and the armor, and in terms of this being a dress-up game, the amount of varied stuff you can equip and, the, and how ridiculous you can look is one of the, the best, um, one of the main appeals to me. And also, like, everything that you equip is basically a trophy because the monsters you kill, you turn them into gear that looks like those monsters. So if someone is running around with fully decked out in the in the skin of a very powerful monster, that is sort of their, like, um, they're just wearing a trophy around to yeah. show people, like, yes, this is what I did. Hey, ladies, look at me. I slayed a Rathalos. Rathalos. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things about the previous Monster Hunter games was that it could take quite a while to ultimately <clears throat> take down a monster. They would have multiple phases. It was like a major undertaking. How much faster is that in Monster Hunter World? Is it about the same um, or is it longer? I don't know. I, I've i just started. Uh, I'm just getting into the midsection of the high rank quest. So basically... Like a lot of, uh, like Destiny 2 and also like a lot of Japanese games, there is sort of an ending and then it's like, oh, here's the real game. Like, yeah. this is the this is the part where normies will get to and then this is the rest of the game for like super hardcore gamers to play with. And I feel like up until the high rank quest, you're probably looking at, depending on how good you are at the game and how quick you are to learn, I would say anywhere between tw- uh, 10 to 30 minutes to fight a monster. Very rarely have I actually used the f- full lot of time. I think the most time they'll give you for a quest is 60 minutes, but that's that's really never happened. And I don't think it's really happened with past games either. Um, but I feel like what they're asking you to do and the, the amount of time they're giving you is pretty reasonable. And you never really get bored in the middle of a hunt because mm-hmm. they're always keeping you on your toes. The monster is always like doing something different or interacting with the environment or other monsters in different ways. And you're always fighting them in different areas. So I feel like they do the best to make the most of that one encounter. So you spent most of your time playing Monster Hunter World solo. I did. Mm-hmm. And that's fully that's a fully viable way to play the game. And people have been asking me that you you should play multiplayer. You don't have to talk to anyone, and that's great. And you probably should talk to people, but I don't think it's that necessary. But it is a fully viable single-player game. Unlike the last games, um, all the quests are both single and multiplayer. There's no separate hub for a single-player quest and no separate hub for multiplayer quests. You can conceivably do all the content in the game by yourself. So if you have a friend who's pretty, like, who's just getting started and you're you've been playing for quite a while like you can reasonably do quests together yes in fact you can help them uh it probably would not be a good idea because then they wouldn't learn nothing they would just watch you destroy monsters (laughs) in 10 hits but uh everything is based on there are no character levels in this game all your all your stats are based on armor and weapons but you do have a hunter rank 
And so if someone starts the game and their hunter rank, they work up to two and their buddy has been playing it for a while and they're at 12, their buddy can help them with all of their quests, but their friend can't join like a, a hunter rank uh, 10 quest. They, mm-hmm. you're, the amount of quests you can do, they're all limited to what your hunter rank is, but you can play with high level people, just not in their high level quests. <laughs> Uh, Nadia, I know that you were doing a whole bunch of research for your feature about kind of the it was a, it was a Monster Hunter re- retrospective yes, about indeed. its kind of explosion in Japan and its rise over here. Like, what did you kind of learn? Uh, I learned basically the Monster Hunter community seems like a very warm and friendly place. Like when I sent out a call, hey, if you like Monster Hunter, can you like talk to me? I was just like literally overwhelmed with responses, really, from people who were like, yeah, I really really want to talk about this game. I really love it, and. Uh, when I talked to a lot of people about, well, what do you like most about Monster Hunter? A lot of them told me, I really like the community. I like the the sense of closeness. Uh, everyone seems really warm and friendly. And you kind of need that in this gaming environment these days. So I, I'm glad it's there for that. What, what do you think, Baja? Do you like... Yeah, I, I mean, I've only, had, I've, I've only had one bad experience with another player uh, for a very bizarre reason in all of my time playing Monster Hunter. I, I remember I was playing Generations and uh, I was playing with a guy and I was like, oh, he's really good. I want to be his friend and uh, do more stuff with him. And then uh, and then he found out that I am a, a guy playing as a woman, a female character. And, and that was uh, too far for that guy. And he oh. called me some things and he left the game. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. So I was wow. like, that's, that's a pretty weird hang-up, but just like, you can't play as a female character, you're a man. That's really How weird. How dare then. you? I mean, I, I actually made a male character, uh, but uh, I do that a lot with my MMORPGs and stuff. I don't know why, it's just something I default to. But, but I uh, think us us Monster Hunter players are so wounded by people not liking the game or people not yeah. wanting to get into the game that we want to be very helpful. We want people to uh, share this experience with us, and we all had to fight to love this game in the past when it was not as helpful. We all had to go over that steep learning curve to get into what makes this game so great. And now that we're over that curve, we want to help people too. And the good thing is the curve is not, uh, I would say it is still steep, but Capcom really gives you a shove in the right direction at, at all times, I think. Yeah, that's uh, another thing I picked up from the uh, the article I wrote is uh, there have been a surprising number of North American fans who have been with the series since the very beginning. Uh, I mean, obviously it's a comparatively tiny number compared to Japan. But uh, they've been trying very hard to get their friends and, and colleagues into this game. And that's why you have even, like, as far back as, like, YouTube's birth, you had people putting up how-to videos, like how to play this particular version of Monster Hunter, how to slay this this particular monster. And uh, a lot of newcomers actually found those videos extremely helpful. Yeah, the, the YouTube community is amazing for Monster Hunter. If anyone out there is listening who wants to play the game and wants outside resources, I would definitely check out this YouTuber. His name is Gaijin Hunter. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And he's he is a. Me. Oh, yeah, he's great. He does. Um, even if you go back and look at weapon tutorials for past games, they're all almost the same in terms of the movesets. They will help you out a lot. And I use those a lot in my in my play just to get a better sense of like all the things I can do with weapons. But he's I would say subscribe to Gaijin Hunter's channel. He's going to be making some great content about Monster Hunter and um, his videos are fantastic and a great way to learn more about the game. So here's what I'm wondering about Monster Hunter World. The first question that I have is <clears throat> Monster Hunter traditionally was very popular in Japan because basically everybody would buy it on their portable system. And then if you were in a job or you were a school, you would be peer pressured <laughs> by your coworkers or your classmates or whatever to play with you, uh, to play with them. And <clears throat> um, you would 
adjourn to the break room or you would adjourn to the local McDonald's or whatever, and you would play Monster Hunter for hours upon hours on end. Um, the fact that it's on PlayStation 4 completely changes the dynamic for Japan. So I'm honestly curious to see how that all plays out there because... I mean, I don't know if local multiplayer is dead, but it's always been more of a local local multiplayer than an online multiplayer culture. Apparently, I was listening to the podcast 8.4 uh, Play, and those are all people who live in Japan. And from what they say, they have not seen this much hype over a game in quite some time. There was not even this much hype over Dragon Quest Eleven when that launched, wow. uh, according wow. to them. So I feel like... Um, just because there are not as many 3DSs in the wild and Monster Hunter was never a Vita thing, I feel like Japanese fans will follow Monster Hunter to consoles even if uh, that demographic is not as into consoles as America anymore. I feel like they will. there will be lots of PS4s sold in Japan because of Monster Hunter World. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just went and saw Secret of Mana Remake and I was talking to some of the Japanese development team and we were talking about the Switch. And the thing that jumped out at me was, I was like, yeah, the Switch is extremely popular. And they're like, oh, yeah, very popular over there. I'm like, so you must be seeing it a lot on the trains. They're like, no. And I was like, oh, why not? And they're like, "Uh, I think it's too big. Oh, sorry. There's not a lot of room on those trains. Yeah. No, absolutely not. I only have Persona to go by, but everyone looks like they're crammed in there like sardines. It's bad enough in Toronto. (laughs) I can't even imagine. I don't know. If you get a seat, you can totally do it. That's what you do in Persona 5. If you get a seat... Then you get to read your book for the day, and you get an, you get an intelligence boost or whatever you're reading. <laughs> it's such a great game. Uh, but I was going to observe that uh, mobile gaming has taken hold to such a great extent that I'm wondering if the contrast between home consoles and mobile game, like home consoles have become a thing again because they offer such a good contrast to mobile gaming. Mm-hmm. Like mobile gaming is a thing you can play on the train and then you can go home and you can play your home console or whatever. Whereas 10 years ago, uh, people didn't really, weren't super interested in picking up a PS3 cause there weren't a lot of games that were interested on it and it was really expensive and it took up a lot of space and time. So they were perfectly happy to play their PSP or their 3DS. So, uh, the dynamic seems to have changed a great deal and I'm, and it's interesting to hear that Monster Hunter is kind of evolving with it. Yeah, there's really nowhere else it could have gone. Like, if they made this Monster Hunter 5 for 3DS, I think it would have just made the series seem less interesting. And I, in my hmm. review for... Um in my review for you guys, I opened talking about, like, this is what Capcom did with Resident Evil uh, last year. They're doing the same thing with Monster Hunter. The change in format is not as, um, is not as bold, but they are making all the changes that have been a long time coming to renew interest and make this no longer no longer just the, like this thing we all live with but uh, you know an amazing thing again like something that's worth looking at not just this game that exists among us but like now another now it's important again mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah you're mentioning a uh, japanese hype i feel like uh even here the hype around uh, monster hunter world is very very exciting i want to say like uh, it is very noticeable and I've never yeah, felt that with another Monster Hunter game. I I don't I I like the mo- other Monster Hunter games just sort of came and went, and I feel like only I knew about them because <laughs> I they'd been out like there had been a year window between all the Monster Hunter games before coming here in the past, uh, the mm-hmm. recent ones. This is a worldwide launch, and I have to give it to Capcom. They are devoted to making this the one that sticks to Americans' yeah. brains because. 
I have seen not one but two commercials in the past couple of days on TV wow. for Monster Hunter, and when I see it, I'm like, this is this is not real. Like I'm not seeing a Monster <laughs> Hunter commercial <laughs> on TV. Some, something is off. I'm having a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> I've died and gone. Or I died, yeah. and now I'm. This is this is my ideal version of the world where Monster Hunter is on TV. <laughs> Yeah, we were at a restaurant just the other night, and Monster Hunter World pops up on the TV, and Bob like immediately stops dead and goes, "It's Monster Hunter." <laughs> Is he like a ten-year-old who's like seeing his favorite game commercial? It's Monster Hunter! Oh my god! It was more like, "I told you it was real. I told you it was really on TV." <laughs> I am honestly curious. So this year, we're not getting a Destiny. Like Destiny Two is already out. We uh, Anthem is not until twenty nineteen. And I'm actually sort of curious if Monster Hunter World ends up becoming the co-op online game of choice uh, for the year, along, you know, with Fortnite Battle Royale and PUBG and all those. I, I really hope so, actually. I mean, I am not a Destiny fan, but I know even Destiny fans I've talked to don't like Destiny 2. They're not playing Destiny 2 anymore. They didn't like the expansion. I, I think the heat is really off of that game. It's surprising mm. how long I heard people talk about Destiny 1, and Destiny 2 was on Twitter for me for maybe two weeks before falling off. So that is not capturing the hearts and minds of gamers, and I really hope that Monster Hunter World does because I feel like f uh, this is the next generation of Monster Hunter and they can only do more amazing things after this, but they really need the amount of players on board that will like make this sort of very expensive and very big game viable for Capcom. Yeah, it is a very well, big risk for Capcom. But at the same time, it has all the ingredients, right, of a yes. game that's going to be successful. It's on the PS4 now, um, and I don't want to slight the 3DS, which, after all, sold extremely well and everything, but it puts it in front of a certain kind of mainstream adult gamer. Mm -hmm. And those mainstream adult gamers have friends that they're going to play with, and co-op is another big thing. If you can play it with your friends, and we saw it with Overwatch and PUBG and Destiny and blah, 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 and it can be like relatively casual in, in its own way, but also extremely deep then you have a super recipe for success. And, I mean, we're already seeing it with the level of hype that has been going around uh, Monster Hunter. And it seems to me, and you're, you're the longtime Monster Hunter fan, but it's gratifying to hear that, Mon that Capcom has successfully kind of made it more accessible for a mainstream audience and people who are coming into it the first time without screwing up the formula, which is, if I were a hardcore Monster Hunter fan, I would be most afraid of. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like what it has going for it, uh, outside of how it is a very good game, it is a very pretty game, and it is a game you can sink hundreds of hours into, I feel like uh, in terms of the online space, this is a very unique experience. I can't think of anything else outside of Monster Hunter clones that do yeah. what Monster Hunter does, which is why... Uh, there are so many people going after Overwatch and PUBG and things like that, but PUBG made it because there was nothing really like PUBG, and I feel like Monster Hunter, now that it is in this new format and on a better platform, I feel like it could have a very PUBG, uh, you know, a very PUBG rise to power. I don't think it'll be as extreme as that, but I feel like this is the time for it to happen. I'm still sad that Evolve never worked out because yes. that looks like such a that was such a cool game, but it didn't have enough monsters, and yeah. they really screwed up the multiplayer. And uh. yeah, I believe there were three monsters in the final game. <laughs> yeah, it was Ouch. plus plus one more if you got like the expansion DLC and everything. Yeah. Oh yeah, I believe Man, there they, were I don't know eight different versions of that game upon release. It was a huge publisher based mess, and I 
and I, I really want to go back in time and stop all that from happening, but it was it was fated to die just because uh, the publisher didn't know how to handle a very PC-like experience. They wanted to give it all of the hours of a single-player game by you know holding back content, and that was what made it really boring for me. It had so much potential, and yeah. I mean, playing it as it was meant to be played was so fun in a lot of respects, but yeah, they really messed it up. And a lot of people were comparing Horizon Zero Dawn to Monster Hunter, and I know that was driving Bob to like distraction. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, I I played I played a bit of Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, I got it on sale over the holidays, and I played a bit of it. And I wasn't really expecting it to play like Monster Hunter, and it really doesn't. I mean, mm-hmm. you are a human character fighting large dinosaur type things, but that's basically where it ends. Um, Monster Hunter is much more complex. Uh, there's way more things to think about. It's way, way harder to just cheese everything to death. So if you're going into this game thinking it's like Horizon Zero Dawn, and I think even uh, Aloy is in the game or something yeah, like that, uh, mm-hmm. that just got unlocked today, I think. It's it's nothing like it. And I think that's good because Horizon Zero Dawn, it's a it's a well-crafted game, but it's, it's like, uh, it's not Monster Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> Put it that way. Yeah. All right. Final thoughts? Final thoughts, yes, uh, uh, please read my review, and I say go into this game with an open mind, and if you can, try to find someone who has played it before or played one of the other games before, Um, but don't be too intimidated. I feel like this game does a great job of really working you into things before just laying all the mechanics in front of you. Um, I, I would, yeah, I would just have an open mind about it. I feel like if this is, if you've played past games and they pushed you away, this is not those games. This game addresses all the issues even I had with past games. So I feel like it is so good. I I said on another podcast, it is up there with my favorite games of all time. And the other Monster Hunter games would be there if they didn't have that bullshit. But again, Monster Hunter World gets rid of all the bullshit and focuses on what what makes that experience really great. Cool. All right, Bob, and uh, plug something for us. Okay, wow, I have I have do too much, but uh, so everybody uh, put on your sleeping caps for this plug. I do Retronauts, <laughs> that's a classic gaming podcast, that's at Retronauts.com, uh, or look for Retronauts in your podcatcher, and that is, uh, we, that's been going on for 11 years. If you listen to this, you probably know Retronauts. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit. Uh, a little bit, you should know about it. And my other <laughs> podcast is Talking Simpsons, the chronological exploration of the Simpsons, and Kat has been on a few uh, recordings, those will be coming out in February, yep. I think. Yes, uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I always enjoy going on Talking Simpsons. The last couple episodes we did was Bart Sells His Soul yes. and Lisa the Vegetarian, where we all got to hear about how I'm an atheist vegetarian. So and we somehow stretch uh, a conversation about a 22-minute cartoon into 90 minutes. Find out how at <laughs> TalkingSimpsons.com. And we have a Patreon, too, where we do so much bonus content. There's going to be a Futurama series coming up on that yeah. Patreon. We also did the entire run of The Critic on that Patreon. So just go to patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. And for five bucks a month, you have access to, I would say, dozens upon dozens of podcasts that aren't available for free. I think it's a great, great deal. All right, Bob. Thanks for coming on. We'll have you back on at some point in the future. Awesome. And uh, go enjoy the hunting of the monsters. I can finally play again. <laughs> You're free. <laughs> All right, thanks to Bob Mackey for coming on the show and talking about Monster Hunter. Hopefully we have him on more, and we'll definitely be talking about Monster Hunter World 
probably in the ensuing weeks because Nadia and I are both definitely playing it. Yeah, I downloaded it. Uh, I made my dude and I made my cat. I'm ready to go. We're on. Okay. So we've also been playing another RPG, and that is Cosmic Star Heroin. Um, and uh, so I managed to put in a fair amount of time, mm-hmm. uh, Nadia. So uh, the the plot continues to thicken. The, uh, the last the last time we left off on uh, on Cosmic Star Heroin, uh, the the agency was revealed to be evil. Mm-hmm. Shock, shock, and surprise. Evil. And I had sued join the team and after that was a dungeon uh this game really loves to do its dungeons uh it's like throw tons of dungeons at you yeah, all the time yeah. uh was the dungeon the one where you escaped basically and you uh you're basically escaping the factory because I, I yeah you're going through the factory i just realized i left someone there they were hanging on the conveyor belt and they were like oh can you like please turn off the security code and rescue me please and i said yeah sure i'll get to that and i forgot because i went Nadia, down- what have you done they're dead <laughs> i went down the elevator and i couldn't go back up how does it feel to have murdered somebody? Well, you left Marcus to die, so because he's it's a, true, I did. He's a guy in the jungle who uh, I saved him. Yeah, Robert Boyd, who worked on this game, actually DM'd me and was like, "Yeah, you can actually rescue a person." Nadia was totally right. And I'm like, "Damn it!" <laughs> no, one for one. Uh, apparently, they show up at the the resistance base later, yes. and uh, so they're there, but. Yeah, so you are going through this dungeon, or through this factory dungeon, um, and <laughs> I did rescue the person. Uh, I, I, They just said, thanks! And I was like, okay. Did you get well, anything? I didn't get anything. You like, take, so, take them down for their lunch money. It's like, hey, I just saved your life. Maybe they show up at the resistance base later. But I... Yeah, uh, the factory dungeon is fairly elaborate mm-hmm. uh, because you had the the doors that would change different color. Uh, that you had to hit the switches yeah. to activate the different ones to get through. Uh, you had the passcodes and everything, yeah. and you also had a lot of a uh, lots of robot enemies to fight a lot in of the robot factory dungeon. Enemies, yes. Although fortunately, Dave learned uh, Rust or not Rust. Uh, he can blue screen them basically, and that can inflict Rust. I forget the name of the attack, but it, it's pretty great because he does it, mm-hmm. and you see the little blue screen pop up that your program has encountered a problem. It just screws up the robot. I thought that was a lot of fun. What does Rust do exactly? What is this uh, thing? I think it's basically like a poison status for, for machines. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, I think so. Okay, because I had been inflicting Rust on enemies without really knowing what it does. Yeah, yeah. It's not like the most helpful status, but at least you feel satisfied doing it. Similarly, I don't know what uh, dis- Disarm does. I think Disarm might uh, bring down your attack, your physical attack power. Okay. but So yeah, um, all of the poison stuff stops being useful pretty much at all. So you have to kind of roll with it. And um, I found myself using Sue a lot, mm-hmm. basically focusing all of my effort, um, powering up Sue and letting... Uh, and trying to get enemy attention on Sue as much as humanly possible so that they would keep attacking him yeah. and he would keep running in and punching them in the face. Sue is t- a tiny bit OP, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Okay. Well, You're right, the, the, his counterattack is crazy. Yeah, exactly. So, um, uh, yeah, the factory dun- so you get through the factory dungeon uh, without, any, without too much trouble, and then you are in a kind of a slumland. Mm-hmm. But uh, first, you actually get to travel over a little overworld, like Chrono Trigger style. It's really cute. Yeah, I like they they like their overworlds. Yeah. 
it's just really adorable. You see the little chibi characters going across the map, and then you try to go back to the headquarters, and you're like, uh, I don't think you should do that. You shouldn't <laughs> be here right now. You get into the slums, and uh, it's very Blade Runner. Yes, very. you're right. So it's just like the look of the cars, the look of the people, the signs and everything. Mm-hmm. Very neon-garish. I finally saw uh, I saw a back-to-back screening of Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. Oh, my God. That's like four hours off your life, isn't it? Or more? Yeah, just about. <laughs> Did you see Blade Runner 2049? No. I'm going to like totally have everyone pile me right now, but I saw the original Blade Runner once, and I was like, oh, okay, I've seen this, and I never really went back to it. It was. I'm really glad that I saw them back-to-back mm-hmm. because they are two very interesting movies, and they tie in heavily to one another, and so I would I would have totally have forgotten a lot of the little things that get called out in Blade Runner twenty forty nine if I hadn't seen the original Blade Runner again. That's fair, yeah. And of course, I, I have a I have a really hard time sitting still for four hours to watch a movie. <laughs> the thing that's funniest to me about Blade Runner is they have the old these eighties now defunct brands like Pan Am and Atari. <laughs> Like, <laughs> clearly visible on a lot of the, the light, yeah. a lot of the signs. Very modern. They put it in Blade Runner 2049. Like, Pan Am and Atari still exist in this universe. Wow, so that's really some alternate universe stuff going on here. Yeah, so they're very deliberate about that. But uh, that, that's one thing that I've noticed about Cosmic Star Heroine, though. It has no compunction whatsoever about uh, lifting from a lot of the sources that the creators generally like, and I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah, it's also, uh, when you get in, when you enter the slum, it's, yeah, it's a slum, it's kind of dirty and awful, but it's, the, the people have a certain dry uh, wit to them that they just don't care, and the way they talk mm. to you really conveys that. And there's actually a sub-quest where you can chase down rats. Chase down rats? Yeah, one guy uh, said to me, hey, if you'd like chase down rats, we'd really appreciate it. I saw somebody being arrested yeah. And I guess something had happened and I could have gone and investigated it, but I didn't really feel like going around and talking to everybody, <laughs> which I guess makes me a bad RPG person. Well, they probably all tell you to F off. It is a slum. Uh, but Sue leaves the party and you walk into uh, you walk into a nightclub and what ensues is a very long cutscene. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you meet a new character who is, well, singing, like she does an entire musical number and I cannot imagine how much time and effort that must yeah. have taken to actually make. That was, that was a pretty well animated little piece is, uh, I think it's, it's supposed to call tribute to like the opera in Final Fantasy VI and, uh, even mm. like, uh, the show in Earthbound. There's something very similar to that as well. Yeah, it was, uh, voice, it, it was, it was voice acted and everything. Yeah. It was really cool. And her name's... Her name is Lauren. <laughs> but there's this whole bit where she's singing and everything, and they're doing a whole musical act, and it actually goes on for like two minutes or something like that. Yeah. And you see the the SWAT cars pulling up and everything, and SWAT people jumping out and surrounding the club. And uh, it, it was neat. It was, I, I swear to God, it's a reference to something, but mm-hmm. I can't like pin it immediately uh off the top of my mind no neither can i but i know what you mean it's very it kind of has that 80s uh gritty movie vibe to it the whole scene maybe it's a little blade runner-esque i don't know but i mean god knows we've seen enough musical numbers but uh this one was well done Mm -hmm. and i i liked the little bit of voice acting that went into it yeah it it was a really cute addition very atmospheric 
uh, but Lauren joins the party because Sue is gone. You, you know that whenever a character is like, I gotta go. <laughs> I got some stuff. You're like, oh, Take care. I got a new character joining. Yeah. Uh, Lauren joins the party and her whole, uh, she's like totally different, kind of interesting. And to, uh, I'll, I'll confess, like I was having a hard time kind of getting to, getting my head around her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas uh, Sue is very straightforward, punchy, punchy. She's, I'm trying to remember, is she kind of the, does she have like a lot of, buffs and debuffs to her but she is a little more off hands off as i recall uh so she has a variety of different attacks that can debuff enemies right um inflict disarm charm Mm -hmm. that kind of thing but because i was fighting so many robots i felt like she wasn't quite as useful like one of her one of her like attacks uh inflicts poison which is great except when i'm fighting robots (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah exactly so uh, the best thing about her is her very first move, she starts out with a ton of style. Or she yeah. starts out with a hyper attack yeah, that's in really hyper handy. mode. Uh, I've actually noticed uh, the... Uh, I'm blanking on it. Alyssa, that's the main character, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, she starts off with a... She gets very quickly to her to her hyper, the first uh, ter- turn, and then it takes like the normal amount of uh, turns the, ne- uh, the next time around. But just that jump right into hyper with either character is really really handy yeah and she has an attack that will do a large amount of damage to anything that has full health Mm -hmm. so the first thing you do basically is since she always goes first is just go and punch them as hard as you possibly can (laughs) screw them up yeah pretty much but then after that like she stopped being very useful to me <laughs> yeah i think i got to the point of the game when i first played where you could uh switch out your party members and uh, i don't think i used her very often to be honest with you mm. sue is sue is sturdy sue is sue is good yeah uh, i don't know i, I kind of want to build my party around finn who came later because he starts slow but as the as the battles go on he becomes stronger and stronger you say finn that's her cousin right the guy who joins you a little later on yeah, he's a member of the police force, and he is the cousin of our hero, Alyssa. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They kind of look alike. And they have, they both have the white. He hair. runs up and he's like, "Hey, Alyssa, hi, I'm your cousin." She's like, "Shut up." <laughs> that's right. That was funny. Yeah. So, our so you have to go through uh, uh, another dungeon after this um, to escape to uh, Lauren's party uh, apartment so that you can yeah. go into hiding. Right, I remember that. And you are going to be making contact with the rebel organization Astria, A-S-T-R-E-A. And uh, so you're setting all of that up and everything, and you go into a Chrono Trigger Festival. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yes. Uh, it was very Chrono Trigger. Millennial Down player. to the little mini games that you could play. Yeah. There's a rock, paper, scissors one that... Uh, maybe I could have played, maybe I could have put a little more effort into, but I was like, oh, oh God, it's making me think way too much. How do you not, oh, I remember that game. Okay, yeah, because I'm like, how do you not put effort into rock, paper, scissors? But now that you mentioned it, I remember, oh my God, yes, that was, that was a whole thing. That was a song and dance. They were like, you can win, you have to win eight in a row. Right. Which obviously is pretty much like extremely statistically unlikely. (laughs) Um begin with yes. but they were going to give you hints as to what they were going to do right and i was like oh my god i'm gonna have to write this all down i don't think i'm gonna do that <laughs> i know you get a pretty sweet prize for it if you go through it but i didn't really yeah damn 
didn't finish it. Totally should have done it then. Uh, or not. I, it didn't really matter to me that much. But uh, so, yeah, you're, you're going through the festival and everything. Um, and you're going to meet up with members of Astria, except Steel, Director Steel is like, lol, I knew exactly what you were going to do. You're real bad at this, Alyssa. <laughs> also, we apprehended Sue, and uh, I could kill you right now, but I'm going to use you for my own political ends. Mm-hmm. Which is, I'm going to have you do a, a big speech, and I'm going to like fetch you as a hero, and then you're going to die on stage, yeah. and you're going to become a martyr for my cause. Which is interesting and devious, but also requires a lot of steps. a lot of a lot of potential for that to go wrong i think i agree and uh the the lady that's trying to kill uh, kill her is um uh the assassin lady that you met at the very beginning of the game who's like eh, screw off and then puts on her little sunglasses you're like oh you're gonna be a villain yep and uh wouldn't you know it and then she misses because she sucks (laughs) after all that uh, gloating about how great she was She's bad at the sniping, but though I think I'm pretty sure that they like push her or something. Like they do something yeah, do to screw up the attack. Yeah, I remember something like screw, screwed her up, but still, she still sucks. Yeah, because the resistance like is secretly telling Alyssa, "Shh, just play along with it, and we'll get you out of there." Yeah. Good thing the uh, good thing the resistance acted in time so that Alyssa's head didn't explode on stage. <laughs> Can you imagine if that happened? Oh dear, whose fault is this? Not mine. I didn't do it. That would have been embarrassing, right? That would have been a, a bit of a, a kerfuffle. Yeah. Have you ever watched Archer? Yes. Uh, not all the episodes, but I have seen a few. There is one episode where um, you think that everything is going to be okay mm-hmm. until um, everything is not okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, haha, they made it. Oh, oh, that guy exploded. Oh, God, no. Oh, <laughs> Oh, everything's gone horribly wrong! Wow, holy moly! Um, when that, when that, the shock of it going so horribly wrong was such that I don't think I've laughed harder in my life at an episode of Archer. <laughs> I don't think I saw like, that one. I gotta look that one up. Archer's one of those shows I've been meaning to ca- catch up on for years and just haven't. It's one of the later episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, but yeah, I, I think that people have watched Archer maybe <laughs> know what I'm talking about right. without. Uh, giving away too much but yeah it would have been pretty funny or maybe not so funny but if Alyssa's head had ultimately exploded but I would have been sad because then the game would have been over but I would have laughed and then a giant robot shows up oh my god I remember that boss battle (laughs) was that the the multi-floor one yes the multi-floor like giant mech battle that was the first battle that gave me real trouble (coughs) really why was that I can't even remember I think I just had a hard time with it I think I think maybe it was because I died at some point, or I, I totally lost, and I had to start all over again, and I was just very cheesed about that. So it is really? in my mind as that impossible, stupid robot, even though it's hmm, not. Interesting. Because um, uh, I, th- I believe Finn joins your party uh, at this point, and uh, so you have Alyssa, you have Finn, you have Lauren, and then you have this bounty hunter? Oh, the guy who looks like Alpha from uh, from Power Rangers? Yeah, he's kind of got that weird head. Zigzorfa. Yeah, the, the assassin. Our resident import from Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> he's basically like Bosk from um, from Empire Strikes Back. Like, he he's just out there to hunt down. He's just down to, uh, out there to hunt down Han Solo. I mean, Alyssa. Mm-hmm. 
And so you have to fight them. But then later on, it's like, oh, yeah, that giant robot that just randomly showed up has a way higher bounty. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to totally join your party now. And you're like, okay, okay <laughs> sure, welcome. Welcome aboard. And he's really strong. Yeah, he, he was really, really strong. And he's got like some cool alien powers. Just being able to, all you got to do really is time out. Um, you just have to just keep using his ice attack. Mm-hmm. And then time out when you're, he's going to go into hyper mode. And then once he goes into hyper mode, use his really strong attack. Like right. try and get it so that you buff him as much as possible. Because he has this one extremely strong attack that's just like pure damage. And it's mm-hmm. really good. Yeah, And he can also self-heal. So he has really good sustain. And yeah, he's just a great character all around. He's almost OP, it feels like. Well, between him and Sue, yeah. They're best friends. Yeah, so... So if you want something more tactical, then you can go with Sue. And if you want just raw damage, you can go with uh, Mr. Zugzorv of uh, uh, the alien bounty hunter. And and then various other characters like Lauren are more support or buffs or debuffs or uh, that kind of thing. And Finn, Finn is interesting because he has a gun. Yes. But he has an attack. Uh, I think it's called Heat that becomes progressively stronger as you use it. Yeah. Um, and on the second round, it's doing a lot of damage. Yeah. Like, that was how I was able to do, like, I was able to do, like, 500 damage on round two to, like, all of the parts of the robot, so it wasn't, like, a problem at all. Like, I just took out its arms. <laughs> now you're armless. I think that was my problem. Uh, I took out I, its arms. I still, hmm? I think that was my problem, was when I first fought the robot, I was still trying to get a handle on everything that everyone could do, so maybe I just wasn't fighting properly. Yeah, it is very much a matter of making sure that all of your characters kind of interact and kind of getting into a rhythm and a flow. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Right? That's really important. And understanding when your characters are going to go into hyper mode so that you can time out uh, a nice big burst attack uh, and that they're ready to use that. Uh, Also, kind of understanding style, which I don't have a total handle on no, to be just, perfectly honest i was just looking at that the other day saying okay what is the deal with style because i would usually have dave use it to waste a turn but uh i think it boosts your the power of your attacks that's the impression i know that it definitely boosts attacks yeah and later on you can spend it hmm. and then there's desperation mode which you can be knocked into automatically or you can be knocked into by enemies which i mean you do more damage, but you will die in the next turn if you're not careful. But also, you can enter that intentionally? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how. I can't remember, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, if you... Uh, Desperation mode is actually a lot like the same system in, in Earthbound and Mother 3, where you have that last chance to save yourself. Although I think... Uh, I don't think in Earthbound or Mother 3 they give you that extra burst of power as you're going down. There's a lot going on here, and it feels like you can kind of game the system to do a ton of damage. Mm-hmm, you but probably can. Yeah, like Alyssa by herself doesn't do a ton of damage, but she's so versatile and so flexible. Exactly, she's very. <clears throat> she's kind of jack of all trades, and she's uh, she has a water attack, which are very handy against machines. Yes, her water attacks, are, like her attacks, do decent damage. But the thing that I found pretty much the most useful was uh inspire 
which yeah. I could use and just give a lot of a fair amount of extra damage to whoever I wanted to focus on. Yeah, I think another problem I was having trouble with some of the early bosses is because I'm the kind of RPG player who forges on ahead and doesn't stop to think very hard about buffs and debuffs, and that's something you mm. really have to do in this game. Lauren also has a program that is extremely useful. It's this regen program. Mm-hmm. So if you just use that on like turn two, mm-hmm. it seems to last for a long time and it just keeps giving you health. So even if you get thrown into desperation mode, they will still be healed on the next turn. Yeah, and that's really, really handy. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, oh, it's, it's okay. It's fine. Like I had multiple characters get thrown down into negative HP, but then uh, the immediately the regen uh, took effect and they got uh, a fair amount, like, you know, like 20 points Enough back, to, to which hang is... Hang on. Yeah, which is not insignificant. So it almost felt like they were invincible in some ways. <laughs> like they weren't going to die. And I was like, oh, okay, it's totally fine. So I wasn't having any problems once I used that. And then, plus I got a fair amount of healing just across the board. Mm-hmm. So Exactly. Yeah, so as a consequence, I didn't have too much trouble uh, with the robot. And plus, like, Elemental damage is a thing in this game, so mm-hmm. as long as you're paying attention to what things are weak to, and, and especially early on, as it is right now, they give you the the abilities and the party members to exploit weaknesses pretty heavily. Yeah, so they like, do, definitely. Uh, I think, as I recall, when Sue joins you, and you're going through the factory, a lot of enemies there are vulnerable to earth, uh, which he can charge mm-hmm. up and become an earth element. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, and in the case of the robot, you have uh, our bounty hunter guy with you, and he does the ice attack, and the robot had uh, is vulnerable to ice. Yeah, so. perfect. But I was, like, just being able to charge up that power attack of his, like, I was doing, like, 800 damage. Like, <laughs> nice. Just by giving him inspire and then having him be in hi- hyper mode and, you know, whatever, like, you can, you can charge up guys to do, like, it's- one big... Yeah, it's just funny how he's like this real, like, tough-ass, you know, I don't care about anything sort of bounty hunter, and you can still inspire him. Go, <laughs> go, man, go. I'm rooting for you. <laughs> oh, oh, thank you. That that means a lot to me. He's very inspired. <laughs> Some say that his froggy heart grew three sizes that day. Aww. It's- with the pure inspiration of Alyssa. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's cool to be able to do these big alpha strikes. That is a thing that I really enjoy mm-hmm. in, in a game. It's It's really satisfying when you pull that off in an it RPG. Is. Very, it is very satisfying. Yeah. So, so yeah, I was able to knock out the robot. Uh, I, I think the thing with the robot was that it was doing a lot of area of effect, uh, party-wide damage. Yeah. Uh, which is the tough thing, but the, uh, but I was okay because of the regen. Right. And then, of course, you, you get to the top and you're fighting the the robot with the the shoulder cannons and everything um and it's revealed to be the uh the guy that you fought at the very beginning of the game who you promptly kill yeah and the building blows up or no that's right they disarmed the disarmed the bomb yes uh i I thought it was pretty funny that they were setting him up to be a villain who comes back later but seemingly you immediately kill him yeah (laughs) he's like oh you're dead (laughs) he's like haha why won't you die and you're just like bonk and he's like (laughs) And he vanishes, and it's like seemingly he's gone. And then Alyssa's all like, "Oh, uh, no wonder this mech sucks. It's had a power. It's parking brake on." Yeah, that's right. Yes. And then you're driving the mech, and I'm just like, "Oh my gosh, this game is full of surprises." Yeah, I bet you were happy about that part. Oh, it was fun. It was very um, Pacific Rim. Yes. 
Uh, it was. It felt like a deliberate callback to both Pacific Rim and Xenoblade, uh, Xenogears. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because you know you're driving a mech and you're finding a fifty foot tall kaiju, and yes. it's, you get an achievement that's literally like kaiju killer. That was pretty fun. I remember that. Yeah. So, and I mean the battle, the actual battle is pretty simple. All you have to do is basically cycle through the abilities. Yeah. Um, and you'll do a ton of damage to the kaiju, and you will have like pretty much no problem whatsoever. Yeah, but it was still a cool it's fight. It's more of a fun, kind of a little show off fight. It's a it's a nice come down after that stupid robot. Yeah, this is a silly random robot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would. But I was thinking, it was like, man, this game like really doesn't take a break. It's just going at like breakneck speed. I'm going from, uh, from escaping from a fact in like the first three hours. You go from uh, missions where you're like in a kind of a horror setting, mm-hmm. and then you are escaping from the agency in a factory, and then you are, uh, and then there's an assassination attempt on you, and then you're fighting a giant robot, and then you're fighting a kaiju in the giant robot. Yep. It's just, this game is just like, just like the first three hours. My God. Yeah, and like even when you think, okay, we're gonna have a little downtime now, like when you go to see uh, Lauren. Uh, nope. The cops are after you. I like the downtime. I, I I like I like getting a little bit of a breather to re recharge and everything. But I'm glad it does that it doesn't take too long. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, uh, I I think that the musical number could have been just a tiny bit shorter, but it was also very cool. Yeah, yeah, I agree on both fronts. Uh, but it's only it's only what two minutes. But now I'm underwater, and I'm in the rebel base. Mm. So uh, here I am, and it's like okay. And I just got a new uh, program, or a new shield, I believe it is, mm-hmm. that allows me to do a, a unity attack with my entire party. Oh, nice. So I, I'm honestly curious to see how this all shakes out, but uh, adding another layer to the battle system, which I definitely appreciate. I I like battle systems that keep adding layers upon layers and everything. So, yeah. So I think the thing I like the most about it so far nadia is the pacing uh, i like that it doesn't waste a lot of time yeah definitely. and at times it can feel a little too fast but there's never been a point where i'm like jesus christ slow down <laughs> yeah uh i think it's not exactly a sin in this day and age when like rpgs really kind of meander to just have an rpg that takes you from point to point uh and, and just shows you what you need to do and, and how it needs to be done yeah and this game uh, is a little bit in my wheelhouse because, aside from the fact that it's a geeky sci-fi game with a ton of references to games I like, um, it's also very systems-focused. It is, definitely. It's uh, Your your parties are technically very customizable. customizable. Yeah, I'm uh, legitimately kind of interested to... It, all the characters are very different, and there are a bunch that I haven't seemingly haven't added to my party yet mm-hmm. or haven't introduced yet, so... I, I, I'm kind of curious to see, like, to, to tinker around and see if I can come up with some really optimal parties. Do you still use Dave? Uh, well, Dave wasn't in my party recently. Like, it's mm-hmm. been all like pre-made parties, oh, but okay. now I'm like finally going to get a chance to actually right um, customize my party a little bit. And I'm, I don't know. I I kind of want Finn in there just because I think he's kind of cool. Uh, I like I Finn. like characters with guns. Yeah. You don't get guns too often in RPGs, especially not these kinds of RPGs. He reminds me of um, a character in Xenogears. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the monk with the, the rifle? 
You know what? I never played Xenogears. What? You don't know that? You never played Xenogears? No, I just uh, never really bought it. I should have. I I mean, I know it's like a classic for the PS1. Oh God, don't make me do a Xenogears report. (laughs) (laughs) That game is like 80 hours long. Yeah, exactly. I'm kind of curious to revisit it. Just because uh, uh, you would have liked it, Nadia. I'm sure I heard it was out of its mind. I know I've read the parodies that Parrish wrote back in the day. It's actually a fascinating game, but okay. So there is a character in Xenogears who has like a shotgun mm-hmm. or a gun, and he's like a monk. Oh, or I know something exactly what you're effect. talking about because back in the day, so many of my online friends had a crush on that guy. And I liked having him in my party because I thought he was cool. He does look kind of just cool. like. Just like how I like having the dog, if there's a dog or a pet or something that I can incorporate into my party as a party member, I will usually incorporate the character who has like a giant gun. Yep. That's fair. Or or a giant bow. One of those two things. Or just the weirdos in general. Like in Chrono Cross, I love the, uh, I can't remember his name, but he's basically a, a lucha priest. And he plays a completely straight. <laughs> his name started with a G, that's all I remember. Uh, but Finn, Finn, Finn's damage uh, increases like periodically. I feel like I can create a really OP care, a really OP party mm-hmm. if I take into account all of the different abilities. And Sue is fun, but I I don't think I really want to build a party around him. Ah, poor Sue. He has a paper yes. tie. It was made by his kid. <laughs> Sue's okay, but Sue's not really my style. Mm-hmm. I'm very I'm very particular about what kind of characters I put into my party. Yeah, I, I have to like the design, and I have to like the the style. That's fair. Yeah, we will definitely have to talk about like who we preferred in our parties once uh, we get to that point in the game. Yes. All right. So that is where we are in the Cosmic Star Heroin Report. Um, we are going to be continuing on week by week until we finish it up. But uh, so far, I'm really enjoying it. It's uh, very stylish and sh- extremely well made little indie game, and. Um, I'm glad that I'm finally having a chance to really uh, dig into it. All right, Nadia, as usual, we will be doing some reader comments from the previous episode. Matcom26 says, Glad the CSH soundtrack made into the discussion. Really an amazing addictive quality, and I highly recommend it over, heading over to iTunes and picking that up, even if you never play the game itself. It's a regular listen for me while working a masterful little album with zero filler. Oh man, yeah, I, I actually agree with that. I would, re- I don't often recommend picking up the soundtrack, but I would in this case. Yeah, now that I'm hearing about it, it's like, oh yeah, that exists. I really do need to pick up that because I write to video game music usually because I can't write any to anything with lyrics. It just distracts the hell out of me. Yeah, no, I'm kind of the same way. So video game music, I mean, video game music is ba- built around the idea of being really engaging without being distracting. Exactly. It's really, like, it's actually recommended for studying and stuff like that. Same with the movie music, to some extent, right? Oh, yeah, you're right. Um, Drachmalia says, Well, I voted for the next report to be Witcher 3, but I'm kind of glad CSH prevailed. It's a really great little game, and Z-Boy duos seem like genuinely awesome dudes. More exposure for them is great. I wish more JRPGs would have the patented Z-Boy pacing. They know how to keep the player engaged and not wear out their welcome. This is true. Mm-hmm. Like they have, I've certainly not. Uh, I've certainly been engaged. Same. Uh, Muchan says, "Talk about having an open world. The main town hub is one of the big reasons I love Xenoblade X. 
Watching New LA change as you progress through the game really felt amazing to me. Nearly every other open world, everything is just static no matter what you do. But with the game built around New LA changing, it really gave you this sense you're actually rebuilding humanity. No cat wasn't too big into the game, but I personally even go so far as to say that it's better than Zelda Breath of the Wild. Well, maybe it'll come out on Switch and we can all play it. Yeah, I, I would definitely give it another try if it came out on Switch. Uh, and Satellite of Love says, the reason you play Nocturne first is that it's extremely masterful design. Its atmosphere is legitimately choking from all this audio, visual, narrative, combat, etc. onslaught. The game's world is so legitimately wrong, it's great. CSH's huge dithering and slow panning of the cutscenes is 110% PC-98. It's like a best of early 90s gaming goodness in one handy-dandy package. There you go, PC-98. Oh, especially that, uh, especially the the music, uh, the music video. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, which I I mean, when the when the SWAT team is running in with their guns, I was I was thinking in those terms for mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm. Very nostalgic. Yes. Um, okay. And as usual, Axel Bloodgod is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Subscribe, rate us. We enjoy hearing. Everything you have to say, we stream every Tuesday and Thursday um, and play a lot of different and interesting and fun games. PUBG, um, I think we're going to be playing more Monster Hunter in the near future. We also got a fun idea for the Olympics um, in a couple weeks, so and Nadia's going to be involved in that. So I'm representing Canada. I'm Canada. Yeah. Yes, of course. Oh, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Um, so, yeah, and follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot, Nadia at Nadia Oxford. <laughs> And also special thanks to Bob. Follow him at Bob Servo. Okay. We'll be back as usual next Friday for more RPG gaming goodness, more Cosmic Star Heroin Report, and all of that jazz. Until then, for Nadia and myself, I've been Cat Bailey. And until next time, happy adventuring. <laughs>